You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, what is up, good people? I hope you are fine and dandy wherever this audio is reaching your ears. I just want to do a little bit of house cleaning real quick before we get into this episode. I'll make it as fast as possible. So first off, if you haven't seen it yet, there's a new pedal collaboration out. Oh yeah, I know it's been a long time, but a lot of people have wrote in requesting this one, and we collaborated, well, we as in me, collaborated with the fine folks over at Fuzzrocious to produce the Typhon V2. There is a lot of information out there on it. We've got two different demos, one for guitar, one for bass. I play a baritone guitar in that one as well. Not in the bass one, in the guitar one. And standard tune, just to give as much variety as possible. But what is it? It's a clean boost. It's a preamp. It's a distortion. It's a fuzz. It's an overdrive. It is all of those things. It's a cascading gain stage unit that can do a ton of different sounds, and I won't lab about it too much more because all this information is available at tonemob.com store. We had 23 of these initially available. I think we're down to four or five left, so they're almost gone. I'll put the direct link in the show notes for anybody who's curious about that thing, but they are going pretty quickly. So snatch that up if you're looking for an epic new pedal day. Okay, well... With that out of the way, let's get into this episode with Jason Verlindi. He runs the Fretboard Journal, which you will find out all about on this episode of the podcast. So here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Jason Verlindi from Fretboard Journal, podcast and magazine. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good, man. I'm, I don't know if you get this very often, but I'm, I'm kind of uh, like shocked. It's not exactly the same, but you sound very similar to a fellow podcaster, Mr. Ryan Burke from 60 Cycle Hum. He said, you, your voice. I have not heard that similar. one before. It's not exactly the same. I wouldn't right. say, I wouldn't say it's a clone, but it's like, okay. there's, there's a similar quality to it. All right. I don't, I was here first. I'm older. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. Are you? I don't know. I don't know if you are. You might be. I think I am. Yeah. Okay. Ryan's I think in is mid 30 mid to yeah. late 30s yeah so I got a decade on him it's all good ah aha well so i wanted to have you on because a you're a guitar podcaster and i like talking to other guitar podcasters uh well this is sort of a guitar show i don't know what sure. it is anymore but uh it uh and also you you know you have a experience in the media world that i have none and that is like doing the magazine so i kind of want to hear how how that all started, but you know, 
when did you actually start playing? What's your musical journey been like? And how did you start this media company that you have now? All right. Well, um, I'll be the first to admit I am still a uh, mediocre guitarist. I have not uh, played any uh, in any band setting in any real form. I've done some very uh, Andy Kaufman-esque musical saw performances over the years and, and weird oddity things. But um, I got into this because uh, I grew up in Northern California and uh, outside of Sacramento. My mom was a big antique collector, garage sale person get up at the crack of dawn on a weekend and go you know look for bargains and stuff and i found myself at a lot of flea markets and garage sales as a you know 10 year old or nine year old and uh guitars and musical instruments were the cool thing and so i just sort of gravitated towards that and trying to seek out interesting things and kind of uh buying random stuff, many of which uh, have gone on to uh, garbage bins or didn't work out or the wiring never worked or whatever. But, um, you know, I've always been a music person, you know, wrote about music, interviewed bands in college, worked for uh, the college radio station when that was still a thing. I guess it's still a thing in some areas. Uh, Got into music, uh, got into, you know, becoming a music journalist, basically. And, uh, I found early on that, especially when interviewing like, you know, younger bands that haven't done a ton of interviews or maybe just don't have a lot of stories under their belt. Talking about gear was a great way to break the ice. Everybody loves talking about the tools of their trade for the most part. And so I found myself doing that, you know, just to have a different angle and to, you know, like I said, break the ice. Uh, I had decent day jobs for up through the nineties. And I was working for a little known company called Amazon in the nineties. That's what brought me up to (laughs) Seattle. I I came up here in 1998 and by 2004, 2005, I was thoroughly burned out on working for the man, uh, for lack of a better word. And, uh, also super infatuated with guitars. That was like my first real job where I was able to you know, buy an old Gibson and and kind of like this, these are the days of when mandolin brothers and elderly instruments still had like print catalogs that were these sometimes just newsprint, but it's just still beautifully written. You know, Stan Jay at mandolin brothers would write these like eloquent, hilarious, you know, 500 word descriptions of guitars with flowery prose. And it was all this kind of like cool in joke. And at that same time, I was looking around and that was, you know, we're talking 2004, 2005. It was sort of a low point for guitar magazines um, in terms of interesting stories and unique viewpoints and everything was really ad focused and it was either gear reviews or how to play like so-and-so. And And I'd look at other magazines because I'd been writing for years and magazines in, you know, the world of like action sports, surfing, skiing and everything. I'd be like, how come they get all these beautiful magazines? Guitars are just as beautiful as like some guy skiing down a hill, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I basically, uh, modeled the, the fretboard journal after a magazine that had been around for a couple of decades for surfers, which is still around called the surfers journal. And reached out to them and said, like, I want to do the guitar version of your magazine. Can I come work for you for free? And they were like, no, but you can come visit for a day and a half. And so I flew down to San Diego, went and visited them, picked their brain on, you know, printers and how they did their layout, layout process and what they paid their writers and all that stuff. And basically, 
created a prototype that I then took to the NAM show with my business partner at the time. And surprisingly, a couple brands actually wanted to advertise in this thing that didn't really exist. And so uh, the first fretboard journal issue came out in the end of 2005. That's a very long-winded answer to your question. Well, it's a podcast. We like the long-winded answers. <laughs> okay, good. I'm always getting people apologizing for uh, talking a lot on the guitar podcast. And I'm like, I you're know. supposed to talk a lot. That's true. You're supposed to. It gets weird more, when you don't. <laughs> there's nothing more painful than somebody who answers with like a one-word answer. Um, yeah, you but know yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, the, the fretboard journal is, uh, and continues to be a, this weird, amazing anomaly in the world of guitar magazines. Many guitar magazines have come and gone. Many are still around from the sixties and seventies, but, um, we do really long form journalism, super in-depth interviews with people have barely any advertising by design, not because I'm a crappy ad salesperson, although I am. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really, uh, like a coffee table book that comes out a few times a year and is filled with very interesting and arguably very esoteric content interviews with luthiers about how they do their craft photo essays. Sometimes we run art. We have yet to run any poetry. I'm going to try to keep that going for the next 15 years. Uh, and, uh, and interviews with like amazing musicians, both old and young acoustic and electric. I mean, we really try to be, uh, you know, I guess the old pitch was the NPR of guitar magazines, but I don't know that that's relevant anymore because NPR barely has any music programming. So, uh, I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I became, so I'm admittedly not much of a magazine person. I am a little bit younger and kind of came into like my media consumption prime when magazines were kind of going away. Yeah. They're uh, still going away. They, they kind of are. <laughs> They've they been going away for 20 years. It's amazing. Yeah. It's weird. Um, but you know, there's a handful and I would say like, kind of like what you're, what you're doing is, is a lot more interesting. I can I came, I find out about fretboard journal, really late. Uh, I would say probably three-ish years ago Sure. when you guys featured my friend Chris Benson in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, this is really cool. This isn't like your typical guitar magazine, you know, which is why I liked it, obviously, um, and why you created it in the first place. So, you know, good job on keeping something, you know, keeping magazines cool, I guess, because they can get very, it's like, okay, there's an ad. How to play like Slash. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, I'm over this, you know? So yeah, you do, you do a good job over there. We've gone, I think we've probably gone uh, 15 years without even mentioning Slash. <laughs> we've <laughs> never, we've never put Jimi Hendrix on the cover of our magazine of, you know, uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, I'm grateful that you found us. It's, you know, I think a lot of people kind of thought of us because um, we have, you know, we'll feature bluegrass musicians too. We're not just, you know, indie bands or anything. Uh, so I think a lot of people just kind of thought of us also as like an acoustic only magazine for a while. Cause, um, we do feature a lot of acoustic people, but we've, you know, I think we were the first guitar magazine to ever put Blake Mills on the cover and we've had Nils Klein on our cover. And we also do videos here with all sorts of musicians. So, um, yeah, it is funny how, uh, something can exist for 15 years and you're just discovering it for the first time. I mean, I I find that with podcasts all the time. It is a definitely a golden era of podcasts, but uh, it is still 
finding new ones and finding ones that you stick to, it's like, how does it, how does anybody ever find any podcast? It's like magic because <laughs> it's not the easiest thing to navigate. It's not like going on to Netflix. No, no, no. And it's like, you have to, you know, Apple's podcast player is notoriously awful. And yeah. so like for a long time, you would like search the tone mob podcast and like, it wouldn't even really come up. I'm like, what else do I have to do here? It's finally like corrected and like, you know, is showing up in search the way it should. But it was so bizarre to me. Like my show wouldn't show up, but like a show that I had been interviewed on would. Like yeah. that doesn't make any sense at all. Or or you'll search for guitar podcast and the first couple things will be things that have like one listener review. And you're like, I'm not even sure this thing's still in business. How did they get there? And I don't know. It's weird. It is really weird. It's really weird. I mean, it's it's very bizarre. I personally think that like the only reason probably either of us have any listeners is, you know, through the other media efforts that we do and then people who just tell their friends. I think that's like the most important yeah. thing. That's how I find most of the shows that I really like is that somebody else tells me about it, whether it's on the internet or one of my friends like literally is like, you got to check this episode out. Totally. Like, that's how people find them, I, I think. Yeah, um, it is so if there are any uh, enterprising young future entrepreneurs listening to this, though, the 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 space is ripe for someone to transform podcasts into a uh, a better discovery vehicle. I don't know. Uh, so there, there has to be a better way than there, there is should right be now. a better search engine for podcasts is what there should be. That's, exactly. that's my thing. Yeah. Which Spotify might be doing that. Uh, they're going hard right now. And their interface is much, much nicer than the Apple one. I haven't really messed with it all that much yet, but I know that I'm picking up more listeners on Spotify than any other platform outside of Apple. Like it's yeah. my number two at this point. We are too. And and I guess they're going to keep doing things like buying out Joe Rogan and stuff to, to get people to embrace it as a podcast platform. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about that. I'm I'm always interested in people's takes on that. What do you think about that whole situation? About Joe Rogan? <laughs> well, just like the 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 purchase of his well, it's not purchase because he still owns it, but you know what I mean, like the deal they brokered with him. I mean, uh, I think it's very uh, it's a very smart long term play for them for Spotify and Joe Rogan got like a hundred million dollars, which good for him. Uh, right. I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's very similar, I guess, to when Howard Stern went from regular radio to cable or whatever it's called, satellite radio. Uh, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, millions of Howard Stern fans, if they wanted to, you know, keep their fix going, had to jump ship and and like buy into a platform. I mean, I've had Spotify for years. I'm sure you have as well. And I never really bothered or even thought about using it as my podcast platform. But, and I'm not a Joe Rogan regular listener, but if they keep doing that, in addition to like free advertising for Spotify on the podcast, like a bunch of people are going to be like, well, I use it for music already. Why wouldn't I put my podcasts on there? So I guess Mm -hmm. in some weird convoluted way, like it, it makes sense. I don't know what, if the dollar amount makes sense, but I, I know a lot of people listen to that podcast, so I don't know. Yeah, I think much like Stern, I think a lot of people were like, oh man, this is going to change everything. And it might, maybe, but like Stern going satellite didn't completely make everyone switch to satellite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, so I don't know if it'll be as as big of an impact as some people say, but it depends on what Spotify ends up doing. You know, I'm 
one thing that people don't really talk about with Spotify as a company is that it's it's actually never really made money. Yeah. Like <laughs> which is yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. To think about, but it's never been profitable. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, but they bought, you know, they bought a year or two ago, they bought Gimlet Media, which is that um that little inter- start startup about uh they produce this podcast shows from New York. Um yes. it was a bunch of like former NPR people, I believe. And so they're definitely investing in it and it makes sense. I mean, I still I, I know even a lot of podcasts have moved over to YouTube or YouTube, you know, certainly will will garner you more views. But there's something about the podcast platform itself where if I'm listening to a podcast, like I am emotionally invested, I clearly like the host, I trust their instincts and their programming, uh, I, I feel much more connected and it's hard to like put a value on that for some advertiser like Casper Mattresses or whatever. But uh, I, I feel much more invested in like the podcast that regularly I regularly listen to than I do on some YouTube channel that might also have a podcast. Uh, same here. Like I... I do watch YouTube. I kind of watch YouTube. I, I tell this to Brian Wampler all the time. Like I watch YouTube like an old man does. I go yeah. to YouTube. I find the thing that I'm looking for. Might get sucked into a rabbit hole occasionally. Not very yeah. often though. I usually find the video, watch the video, and then move on with my day and fix my toilet or whatever it was. Exactly. That was That's exactly <laughs> how I use it too. And you know, I think I've probably subscribed to all of four channels on YouTube because I, which isn't many, because it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to do the search and find what I need and then move on. Even YouTubers I really like, like a lot of my friends are YouTubers and uh, I don't, I mean, I'm subscribed to all their channels, I'm pretty sure, but I don't actually like get to their channels from the YouTube app. So, you know, like it doesn't like notify me and I'm like, oh, I got to go watch Ryan from 60 Cycle Home's new video. It's like I see him post it about it somewhere. He's like, I post a new video about this. I'm like, I want to watch that and I'll just go find it on my own. Like it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm subscribed, which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's just weird to think about. Totally agree. But anyhow... Yeah. Let's talk about your podcast a little bit. When did okay. you start that? And like, what was the, what was the, what kind of drove that? Uh, I might be the like grandfather of guitar podcast. There are probably a few that have been around longer, but uh, we started our first one, I think in 2009. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The fretboard journal podcast started in uh, the spring of 2009, if I remember correctly. And it was on this ridiculous, but also ahead of its time platform. If this platform were to come back today with better uh, functionality, it might actually do well. But it was this, uh, there was a site called Blog Talk Radio. And it was basically a conference call service that allowed you to immediately publish to iTunes or whatever as a podcast. And so you could call in, you could have people call in, but there was no way to screen anybody. You would just see that somebody was trying to call into your conference call and you would have to just say like, I'm going to hit accept and hope they're not crazy, you know? (laughs) Uh, And you could even embed like some intro, outro music or whatever. Um, And we did that for, I guess, probably... I don't know, a year or two on a maybe once a month basis, sometimes twice a month to interview some of the people that, you know, we feature in our magazine, Bob Taylor of Taylor Guitars, the founder of Taylor Guitars, or writers who've contributed to our magazine and had a good, interesting story or musicians that we loved. 
Uh, the the programming was fine. It's very similar to what I've continued to do uh, 200 plus episodes later. But the actual audio interface was like two tin cans and some string. And so we eventually left that. Um, and they would also like embed their, their whole plan. Business plan was like, oh, and we'll embed ads in your podcast that you won't even know about. You know, and so it, just be, it was just like this weird, like signing over your your name to the devil thing and the devil sounded really crappy. Uh, and so uh, we, we switched to just regular podcasting a few years after that. And then in 2018, we launched a podcast called Luthier on Luthier, which is um, something we produce, but I'm not on it at all. Uh, and it's a, a guy from Colorado, uh, Michael Bashkin, who builds exquisite acoustic guitars, basically interviews his peers, interviews guitar makers from around the world, um, meets him at a guitar show or does a Skype call. Uh, and so that comes out once a month. And then most recently, like a year and a half ago, we launched this, um, it's sort of like car talk for guitar amplifiers, believe it or not. That sounds super niche. It is super niche, but, uh, it's called the truth about vintage amps. And that is, uh, I guess maybe our runaway hit. I didn't think that was going to be our runaway hit, but it is definitely, uh, we're now weekly for the for the pandemic, we've agreed to go weekly. I don't know if, when we'll go back to bi-weekly, but um, people call in or write in their questions about their amplifiers and this lovable curmudgeon of a guy, Skip Simmons, who I've known for 25 years, fields the questions and answers them. And I'm sort of the Ed McMahon of the operation, which is a role <laughs> that I've actually really embraced. I love it. So That's really cool, man. Yeah. So like, it's kind of funny because I, I don't know, I don't know why this is. Maybe it's because like fretboard journal is viewed as a bigger entity um, than, than like me, who's just by myself. But it's like, it's kind of funny to think about, you know, the podcast space being, you know, some people think that like, I'm one of the, you know, old guys at this point. Cause sure. I'm like, I started in 2015. Yeah. Which, which was pretty early. Yeah. Uh, but not that early. Like I was clearly into podcasts way before that, like as a listener, uh, I, I just kind of looked at the space and went, I don't really see anybody doing exactly what I have in mind. I sure. don't even know what I have in mind. So yeah. we'll just try it and find out. And it was weird. Cause like, I didn't know like how hard it was to like actually grow a podcast into something sustainable. I didn't, I didn't have any idea about any of that stuff. And I, so I started on Instagram, just kind of posting gear pictures. And then I was like, all right, let's do this podcast. And like day one, there was like a hundred listeners. I was like, what? Yeah. For real? Like, really? This is weird. And it's just kind of gone and gone. I was like, well, I was like, well, this seems like something that people enjoy for whatever reason. Yeah. (laughs) And my wife's like, people listen to you talk for an hour. I'm like, sometimes too. I- exactly. I know. And I talk to them more than I ever talked to you. And I'm married to you. I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a, it's, I, I really appreciate everybody that tunes in. Cause I, I there, there's over a million podcasts now, like literally. Yeah. Um, and so there's, and music, there's this thing called music. They could also be listening to. Yeah. And the fact that they're tuning in and like lending their time is just crazy. It's just crazy to me, but I love them for it. So thank you guys. Yeah. And Gerald and everybody who's listening to this right now. Yeah. Um, 
what is some of the coolest things that you have gotten to be exposed to as a result of doing the magazine or the podcast or both? Oh man. I mean, I've been to a lot of uh, my music heroes homes and seen their guitar collections. Um, I've met, you know, I mean the, the main reason that I do the magazine and the podcasts um, are just, you know, it sounds cheesy. I know er- literally everybody who goes to Nam when, when there are NAMs, when it's safe to have a NAM, uh, you know, they come back from Nam and they're like, oh, it's all about the people. I love the people. And it's totally cheesy, but it's true. Like the characters that I've met um, through the magazine and it's the reason the magazine exists. I, I love, I, I don't want to do gear reviews. There's so many people who could do a better gear review than I could. I don't want to do, you know, how to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. There are people who've been doing that their whole life and that all they can, you know, they can churn out the tab in like 20 seconds. Uh, I'm good at, I think, interviewing people and characters and, and getting like what makes them tick. And that's why the magazine exists. And it's kind of the, the cornerstone of it. So I've been able to interview a lot of amazing musicians, which I love. I've been able to call some of them friends famously, like we're based in Seattle. We also do weekly videos that, uh, used to take place here at the fretboard journal office when people would leave their homes. Uh, we've done a ton of, you know, videos with Bill Frizzell, who is in addition to being one of my guitar heroes, one of my best friends. And he would walk here from his house with his guitar and we'd be like, what do you want to do? And f- because of that, we, you know, have 20 so or so like amazing, beautiful Bill Frizzell solo performances on YouTube, on our channel. Um, God, what else? I mean, it's uh, it's just been fun to meet and and also just to be able to go to all these workshops. Uh, that's a big part of our magazine. Most guitar magazines still, if they're writing about a guitar maker, just show pretty pictures of a, a guitar with a gray backdrop. And one of our one of our rules is if we're going to be covering you in our magazine, like we are sending a photographer to your shop and we will take pictures of not only the pretty guitar, but also like the workbench where it was made. And so that's super fun to be able to go to, you know, and, and sometimes they're way bigger than you would think. And sometimes somebody who's really prolific has a tiny shop and you're like, how the heck do you even do anything here? Um, <laughs> that is a super, you know, that is super enjoyable too. So, I mean, there's, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> that's you know, my my experience, I haven't been to nearly as many shops as you guys have, but the ones that I have been to, it's almost always on the small side. Like some people I think would be really large and it's like, well, this is this shop really isn't all that large. It's yeah. almost everybody is smaller than you think, with the exception of maybe like Martin or Gibson or Fender or something like that. You know, like uh, the pedal makers just they don't need as much space. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely, you know, sometimes we deal in the sort of rarefied world of really high end acoustic guitars. Um, that's Mm -hmm. one of the things we're known for. And so, you know, we just did a video during the pandemic with this, a guy who has been on our podcast a bunch and featured in our magazine, a bunch named TJ Thompson, who is not on the radar of anyone, unless you have like a 50,000 plus dollar vintage Martin guitar. He is the guy. He is the Yoda. If you have a pre-war dreadnought and need it to be restored or 
fixed or whatever. People send him guitars from around the world, but he doesn't advertise. He doesn't even really want publicity. His shop is huge. I mean, it is <laughs> it is the size of, uh, I mean, he could have 30 employees, but it's just him. <laughs> and it's, wow. you know, he's got his own Plex machine uh, and, and that doesn't even scratch the surface. His shop is so big that he literally takes a leaf blower and just blows all the sawdust at the end of the day with a leaf blower to like the other end of the shop where the dust collection is. Um, whereas uh, most people I know, like if they tried to start a gas powered leaf blower in their shop, their elbow would hit the wall and, uh, another part of the leaf blower would knock over a guitar or something. Um, so yeah, it is always funny to see everybody's spaces and it's kind of like a cool part of their personality It's part of their story, which is, is one of the fun things that we can share in our magazine. So that, that wouldn't necessarily come across in a podcast, you know, um, cause it's visual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a getting people in their element. It yeah. tells you a little bit more about who they are. Yeah. And, you know, in, in ways that words can't fully convey. I mean, I love the podcast format. It's my favorite, one of my favorite forms of entertainment or, you know, forms of media, I guess is probably sure. the best way to say it. But there is something about seeing somebody in their element and watching how they do things and, yeah, the way they carry themselves and the tools they use, like it's it's I don't know the rapport they overly... have with their guys or their employees, and uh, yeah, and and in that fifteen years I've been doing this, like when I, f- you know, issue one, I went down to see Jason Lawler when he was still on Vashon Island outside of Seattle here, you know, to mm-hmm. see him go from, you know, a little addition of his house that's um, probably about the size of like where you're doing all your magic and, and have all your guitars to, you know, now he owns a building in downtown Tacoma with 30 or 40 employees the last time I was there. Um, so that's been amazing to see. And, and Bill Nash too, like, you know, was totally a garage builder with a couple of his son's friends helping him out 15 years ago and now has this big operation and, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see all the different facets and, you know, the, everybody in this industry has kind of got an amazing personality. I'm not necessarily at like the big corporate, you know, big three level. Um, there's plenty of people there who just have, you know, day jobs, but, um, everybody who's started a company from scratch and is in the trenches is without a doubt, like they're amazing and and generally really nice people who all are super passionate about what they do. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how, in this industry, it's, I I talk about this all the time. I'm sure listeners get sick of it, but it seems to attract a certain type of person. Not that we're all the same, but everyone gets along so well. And so there, there has to be some level of commonality there. And I know there's music and everyone has different, but everyone has different tastes and stuff. It's just something about the gear industry seems to largely attract very enjoyable people. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Yeah. I mean, and it's also, I think we all know that, you know, nobody's, nobody's really like gotten rich or had an easy ride. And so there's this just kind of communal thing where if you're making a living as a guitar maker in 2020 and you have zero to five or 10 employees, like you're kicking ass and and you've probably made a lot of sacrifices to make that happen. So there's just sort of like an amazing respect there um, that, and, and everybody's really, yeah, they, they want to see, you know, it's like the cheesy cliche of a rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody wants everybody else to make a better guitar um, and, and be part of the, the fun. 
Yeah, it's weird to be, you know, I've never considered, and even after I've been working at this full time for a couple of years, I never like considered myself part of the music industry for whatever reason. In sure. my head, I'm like, oh, I'm part of the gear industry. I'm not yeah. part of the music industry. Yeah. That doesn't really make any sense. Of course, it's like part of the music industry. I think it's just imposter syndrome talking, which I Got have it. a lot of all <laughs> <Okay>. the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh I don't know if it's ever going away, but it's uh, for some reason uh, they were like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, my, my, I think my sister said like, yeah, my brother, he works in the music industry. I'm like, I, no, I don't. Well, I guess, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I do. Just in the weirdest way possible. Sure. But I do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a weird, uh, I mean, that could be everything from the guy uh, cleaning toilets at a, a crappy dive bar or selling popcorn at a, a big theater to, uh, us or someone making a guitar. We're all in the music biz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it encompasses a lot more than just the people in the studios and on the stages. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot that goes into this machine. It's, it's really strange. Yeah. It's a really strange and wonderful industry. Well, also what I've noticed, and maybe you can comment on this, it's also largely, even when you talk about like large acts and stuff, uh, it's also smaller than what I would have thought coming from the outside. You know, I'll get emails from like band managers and in their signature, there'll be like 20 artists. And I'm like, oh, you rep Alice Cooper and Kill Switch Engage and, and like, and like all of these really well-known bands. It's all managed by like the same lady. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's and just, it's a lot, a lot smaller than I would have, or maybe smaller is not the right word tighter tighter connected i don't know what do you what are your yeah it's definitely tighter knit i mean there is um i mean heck right now someone could conceivably manage hundreds of bands because no one can do anything so (laughs) you could have a whole (laughs) bunch of people in your roster uh yeah no i mean it is uh a, a lot of our interviews we're talking to people who are you know we're fans of them we know how to get a hold of them not through the official channels but in terms of like publicists and managers yeah there's uh, really like four or five players that cover 90 percent of the music that you would listen to some of those are Mm -hmm. firms um you know but like uh half of the artists in the that we've featured in the fretboard journal on the cover you know go through red light management so if you know one person at red light management then suddenly you know you can ask that person hey how do i get a hold of this guy or this person and so there's definitely a lot of that um, going on. So yeah, it, it is It is definitely way more close-knit than one would think just looking at random bands playing at random shows and putting out records all over the world. So It's crazy stuff. Yeah, Red Light, that's funny. It's like, I know like four people that work at Red Light that do exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. I don't yeah. know anything about Red Light, but I know that I know people that work there. That's... That's all yeah, I know. Yeah, and, and they have offices, you know, I, I'm sure Nashville and LA and probably New York are like the big hubs, but they have all these little satellite offices. There's one in Seattle that has like probably three desks and half the people work at home most of the time. So uh, yeah, it's it's a weird, it's definitely a weird business, but and it's intimidating if you're not in it, but once you're in it and you've proven yourself for not even that long of an amount of time, like you start to know who the players are and they start to know you and suddenly you're doing interviews. Did you have any difficulties early on trying to like secure certain people you wanted to talk to? 
I mean, we, we've had a Google Doc for as long as there have been Google Docs of like a growing list of people that we know we should interview at some point. Um, what's funny is that, uh, <laughs> the, A, that list, because my tastes are so weird, uh, you know, probably don't have, there aren't a lot of the like traditional guitar heroes on that list. You know, I, this is the funny thing about, uh, this is why the Fretboard Journal exists. Like, to use an example, like uh, somebody who's been interviewed a, a ton, like maybe say a Santana or an Eric Clapton, who you do all this legwork, you would get maybe granted 30 minutes of their time because they're so busy and so famous. They're not going to say anything interesting that they haven't already told guitar player five years ago or some podcast or somebody on their press team. You're not going to get any gems out of them in 30 minutes unless you're just a magician and you hit it, you know, hit it right off the bat with them. So a lot of the interviews we do, it's like, who hasn't been interviewed? Like, you know, I mentioned Blake Mills. Like I, I try to go after those or the legends where it's like, this guy's old and not going to be around forever or woman. And, and they need to be interviewed, you know, and it's going to take us four hours and we're going to sit down with them, but, um, we need to get their life story while we can. Um, but yeah, early on, uh, I think it was hilarious. We, we wanted to interview, I think we, we interviewed Roy Clark, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. And, and it was just like, oh, well, nobody talks about his guitar playing anymore. He's sort of this, you know, sad to say, like facelifted Botox guy, you know, who shows up every once in a while at a celebrity event or something. But it's like, we got to like do the deep dive on his guitar playing and his manager was like um, the same managers like Dr. Ruth Westheimer and Joyce Brothers and like <laughs> all of these random sort of celebrities that if you were a child of the 70s or 80s, you probably saw in like Hollywood squares. And that was a funny one because that person, that manager could care less that we were putting out the nicest guitar magazine the Western world has ever seen. <laughs> so there have been some of those. Um, and there's been, you know, plenty of, uh, well-known, uh, you know, rock legends where it's like, you know, it's known that we want to interview them. And at some point the stars will align and we'll be able to have a long enough interview that it'll make sense for both of us. Um, but yeah, the, the ones that are the hardest are sometimes just the weirdest ones where you have to question yourself going like, does anyone even care about a Roy Clark story besides me? <laughs> you know, it's like, I could have been chasing Clapton or somebody, you know, John Mayer or someone huge that would actually like sell at Barnes and Noble versus this like inside the magazine, not even going to be on the cover feature that we're chasing. So that's my life. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate to that a little bit because like some of the people I'm like most excited to talk to they're not they weren't necessarily in a huge band. They were just in a band that like I really liked in 2003. Yeah. And they're not they might not even be playing anymore and it's like I'd love to talk to them. Like, you know, I just I don't know. I kind of feel the same way. I want to be excited about the person that I'm going to talk to cuz otherwise I could see myself not intentionally, but I could see myself sort of phoning it in. Of course. Uh, You know, yeah, that guy's cool, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'll ask him some stuff, whatever. I I mean, there's definitely, I I bet if someone's paying attention to, you know, hey, you're a great interviewer. I'd like to think I'm an okay interviewer. But like you could, if you pay attention enough, you could probably notice the interviews that like you or I went after because they were close to our heart versus the ones where somebody approached you or me and was like, hey, can you 
do you want me on the show? I'm doing this interesting stuff. And maybe we hadn't bought into it yet. But um, yeah, I mean, it is the stuff that's close to your heart and that actually where you can have a meaningful conversation is, is so much better and so much more fun. I think it's, I think you can tell probably a little bit. I always try to do the best job and I always pay attention and I'm always interested. I, I won't interview anybody that I'm not at least interested in. Sure. Like, of course, I, I, I just won't because it'll be lame. But like, you can tell the ones where I'm like, no, now I, I'll like do the intro and be like, listen, people, I'm a genuinely huge fan of this, <laughs> yeah. this uh, artist. So this is really cool for me to get to do. And I've had, I gotten lucky to do that a few times. And I think you can hear it in the interview. I think you can tell when I'm like, Brian Fallon, I'm a massive fan and I'm going to sit here on your tour bus and we're going to talk while you smoke a cigarette and just hang out. Like I would, couldn't, be- I had to pinch myself. I couldn't believe that was happening when it, the first time it happened, Sure, you know, and uh, it's still, it's still cool to me. Cause I'm like, now we're, now we're buddies and we can text about guitars and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. What is what is happening with my life that this is a thing that I'm, that I'm doing now. It's it. I I'm a, I'm a mechanic. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that's an, that imposter syndrome kicking in again, but I think you, you can hear it like what you said. I, I yeah. believe it's, it's there in the air somehow. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it, yeah. there's something. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, you know, uh, and then sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. You're like, I, I agreed to do this interview because it, it made sense on paper and the person's making great music. It just wasn't my, you know, in my heavy rotation. And then you end up having an amazing conversation with them and you're like, I can't wait to have you back. So there's, there's those moments too, um, that are, are nice, but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Podcasting is fun. Interviewing is fun. <laughs> it is. I can't honestly don't think I, I can't think of one, you know, I've had some people that I had to sort of drag stuff out of a little bit, Sure, but honestly, most of the ones I've done, I can't think of one where I was like, Whoa, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened to me. It's always been like, that was a nice, that was a nice conversation that we had. Yeah. There's obviously some that I get more excited about, like what I was just talking about, but I've never had a bad one, knock on wood yet. I'm yeah. hoping that doesn't happen. That would be weird. All right. I'm like, I can't publish this because it's not good. That would be an awkward situation. All right. I'll try not to screw up the second half of this. <laughs> Do you have any standouts for you? That's like, man, I loved doing that interview. This person was so cool. I, you know, anyone that really stands out in your brain? Um, I mean, God, we've had, uh, we've had so many uh, I forget how many episodes we're up to 250 or whatever for the podcast. And then 46 issues of the fretboard journal magazine, plus a couple of like odd side projects. I mean, on the podcast, that guy I was mentioning TJ Thompson, who is a very reserved, quiet person. Uh, the last one we did went so much deeper than, uh, it's sort of like you were saying, like it transcended being a guitar podcast. I don't know what it was, but you know, he was, he was talking about, you know, fear and doubt and how he tried to start a men's group. I shouldn't be laughing. This is serious stuff. He tried to start a men's group. This was like 30 something years ago. And the only person who showed up was Ken Parker and who was his buddy. And I'm just in my head visualizing like these two guitar makers trying to start a men's group together. And then they brought in a guest speaker 
And it was like just the craziest story. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know what this is, <laughs> but it's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that was great. Um, another one that to jump to the other channel that we have, um, this, this podcast that I do with Skip Simmons, which is this amazing organic thing that happened where, you know, it started out being a little bit, uh, like the Fret Files podcast where Eric Daw, who's amazing at what he does, fields questions about guitar repair. And I told Eric I was going to do this and he gave me the green light and I will always plug Eric's show because it's great. Um, it started out like that. And then, you know, Skip over time started talking about some of his heroes in the world of amplification and who, you know, used to be big, but isn't anymore. And now we're sharing cooking tips and recipes and it's just this like amazing free for all podcast. But um, there's a company that's still around called Angela Instruments that is in the Maryland, greater Washington, D.C. area. And they, for decades, have supplied all sorts of parts. Like if you wanted to build an amplifier, you could, back in the days of like a mail order newsprint catalog, you could order transformers from them and new old stock tubes and all this stuff. And I've had a couple of these catalogs and Steve, the owner, comes off as just this total curmudgeon. And just, you know, it's like, do not call us if you don't know what you want. Do not call us to lowball on new old stock tubes. We know what we have. Like, it's the thing reads like a punk scene. It reads like an old flip side <laughs> magazine with all the attitude, but all the ads and they're, the ads all look like those old punk zines. Like, they're all hand cut and everything, but they're for tubes and for transformers and for, you know, cloth wiring and all this other stuff. Um, we... I agreed or I reached out to this guy and I'm like, I know you don't do interviews. I'm really scared to talk to you, <laughs> but my co-host Skip loves you and you were such a big influence on him. Would you be on this podcast? And it took months, like it took months of, of, of trying to get him. And then he finally started listening to the podcast and he would actually send me an email like saying like, oh, I agreed with Skip on that one question. And wasn't that funny? And you said you like gardening. Here's a picture of my garden or whatever. Um, and then we got him on the podcast like a month and a half ago. He's like Santa Claus. He's the sweetest guy in the world. There was not an angry <laughs> bone in his body. Everything, everything agitated about him must have come out in that catalog so that he could relax once he got home. Like it was amazing. And now, you know, it's, it's sort of like to use the Hollywood squares analogy. Like he's probably going to be a recurring guest on this podcast, because everybody was like, oh my God, we, you spoke to him for two hours. How'd you do that? I have all these questions for him. And so um, that was just one, again, like not on my radar in the slightest. I vaguely remember this catalog. We just did uh, an electric guitar annual, like uh, standalone magazine with a bunch of um, cool, only electric articles that just came out. And one of the stories was Ian from Fugazi because close to my heart, I wanted the story of the SG that he's like played to death and the Marshall. And so we just did this like 5,000 word article on his relationship with basically two guitars and one amplifier. And, and on the back of the Marshall that he played for the entire run of every Fugazi show, it's like uh, serviced by Angela instruments, this guy. Uh, and it turns out that, the DC music scene is tightly knit as all of them are. And, and Steve from Angela reached a point in his career where he was like, I like these guys. I've made enough money. Like I'll be their tech for free. And so for like five or eight years, he just teched them out of the goodness of his heart and kept those, you know, the, the Marshall and the SG and everything like going. 
um, while they were home between tours, which I thought was the sweetest thing in the world. So that's I don't know. So cool. I mean, that's like, I could talk about like Ben Harper or Eddie Vedder or something like that, which, you know, those were all great interviews. Um, but sometimes it's like the random ones that very few people have heard of where you're like, this guy's amazing. Everybody should know about this guy. Yeah, I I definitely know that feeling. I yeah. just had one of my favorite conversations on the podcast ever just a couple episodes ago uh, with uh, Devon Whitaker, who's been on twice. But like the guy, you know, he's not the most well-known video maker, content creator type person. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to be because he's so good at it. But, uh, you know, that guy's one of the most insightful people. And just like we just we didn't really talk about guitars. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, we didn't. Uh, so, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was just like deep diving into weird philosophical ideas that I probably don't have any business exploring because I'm not all that smart, but he does. So I know exactly what you mean. I didn't expect it to come out like that. I knew it would be good because he's an awesome person to talk to. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people don't know who he is. He's not, you know, Ben Harper, for instance. Uh, but, uh, it was an amazing conversation. He's one of my favorite people to just hang out with. So I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know this is like, um, sabotage, self-sabotage because we're trying to make a living off of the guitar industry. But like the only reason we're in guitars and the only reason we do any of this stuff and the only reason anybody listens to this podcast is because we're all trying to connect with each other in some way. And guitars are a great conduit for that because if you like guitars and this person likes guitars, you're buddies. Um, and so, yeah, when real connections happen that are more than just like, what string gauges did you use? <laughs> or, do you like those pickups too? Like, that's amazing. It, it's it's why, why we're all here, you know? Yeah, I'm, I've said this for like months, maybe even years now. I really need to redo the description of this podcast as it appears in iTunes and all the other places. Sure. Because it's like, it makes you, it makes it sound like you're really going to get into some, and sometimes we do, sometimes we get really nerdy. So I don't want to say that we don't, but like, if you look at the description, it's like Blake talks to all these people about guitars, amps, pedals, and blah, 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 blah. And it makes it sound like it's going to be very on topic. And more, more often than not, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely not. So I really need to redo the description. Uh, yeah. Brian Wampler, who I, I co-host Chasing Tone with him sure. and have for years, he uh, he's finally like, I don't know when he started doing it, maybe two years ago. In his intro, he's like, we talk about guitars, pedals, and amps with a healthy dose of off-topic discussion because there are times we do not talk about guitars, pedals, or amps on the entire episode. So, exactly. Yeah. That's been uh, the best part of this yeah. amp podcast is, yes, we, we troubleshoot, you know, a dozen amps on every episode and Skip is hilarious and insightful and gives people advice that they may or may not take. But, you know, then he'll just be like, so I've got this hot and sour soup recipe. And it's like, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, You've got this guy riffing on how he makes a hot and sour soup. And we've had, you know, people call in with relationship, needing relationship advice. And uh, cast iron cookware has been a big, uh, you know, there's a recurring themes with probably a lot of these podcasts that we all do. But um, yeah, like it's just kind of like great discovery of cool stuff that may not have anything to do with six strings on a piece of wood. Right. That's just the thing that brings us together initially. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I view it as, but you know, it's, oh man, start talking about cooking. This is going to get off the rails (laughs) in a hurry. I 
really enjoy cooking and I enjoy cooking almost as much as I enjoy eating, which is my next favorite thing. Next okay. To guitar. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah right, our, we have your... a, we have a private uh, Facebook group for the, uh, like you guys do of, of, for the amp podcast that mm-hmm. I intentionally have made somewhat hidden because the, the dynamic with the 550 people on right now is amazing. There's been no trolls. There's only been like one flare up where somebody had to get kicked out, but everybody plays nicely and everybody's awesome. And so I kind of don't want it to grow any further. I know that sounds horrible. Uh, you know, I should make the questions really hard to be <laughs> exactly like calculus level, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if, if you were to have stumbled upon that page, literally, you know, there's like, 45% amp content and then it's the rest is just all food. <laughs> so. That sounds kind of like my Facebook group. It's a a lot of a lot of pizza content and yeah. sometimes sometimes a pedal sneaks in there every now and again. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's let's do this real quick as a quick sidebar. Okay. What's like your like if somebody was like, you know, make me the thing that you're best at making, what oh, dish man. would that be? Oh man. Uh you're going to hang up on me right now. But I, I'm nope. I'm gonna don't hang up on me. I'm vegan. Don't hang, hang up. No, hanging please up. don't. No, and okay. I I will be able to answer your pizza question at the end of the show. I promise you. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and not preaching about some like soy cheese alternative thing. I promise you. But uh, <laughs> I moved out to the country outside of Seattle, like uh, an hour east of Seattle, in the kind of the foothills of the Cascades, about a year ago. And, uh, one of, uh, one of my only neighbors, one of the only things I can walk to is this like mushroom farmer. (laughs) So I walk over there every five days and it turns out he's a guitar guy, which is hilarious too. But, uh, I walk over there every five days and, and get like a pound or two of shiitake or whatever he's got. Uh, and I almost like a monk just try to perfect, shiitake mushrooms in a cast iron pan and so even if i didn't like wow you i would probably cook that for you just because it's like almost like a religion now it's like part of my practice i hope they're not bad for me i mean i eat a lot of them uh i'm actually pretty sure they're really good for you no i know they are and and (laughs) he's got the other ones that are like superfood lion's mane and all that stuff which i've i've had with mixed results but the shiitake mushrooms just like super easy to get you can't really screw up so it'd be some sort of like uh, sauteed shiitake mushrooms with some like lemon salt or something fancy on top mm. to impress you, which I would never give myself. But if you were a guest, I would, I would make that for you. Um, what else? I mean, I, I'm not going to serve you tofu. I would serve it myself to, you know, if it was just me or my family. Um, what else? I I'm good with chili. I can make a good veggie chili. You know, I would uh, call shenanigans on that, but one of the best <laughs> I've ever had in my life was a was a vegan chili. I don't know. Yeah. Like, huh? Look at this. This is yeah. phenomenal. It was actually made by a. This is actually kind of ties into everything. It was a Portland chili cook cook off, okay. and there were bands playing at the chili cook off. I yeah. can't remember the very first opener, but the middle opener or the middle act rather was Sturgill Simpson. Sure. And the headliner was Lucero. So this was a while ago, as you sure. can imagine, because yeah. Virgil is massive and not playing chili cookouts anymore. Um, or anywhere. But it was, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Story's at least three months old, no matter what. But yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a, sh- a really well-known chef here in Portland, Gregory Gorday, uh, made this amazing vegan chili. And I, so I'm like, all right, yeah, this one wins. It was the best chili there by, by a wide margin. I think it yeah. won. So I believe you. And I also love mushrooms. Okay. I love them. They're one of my very favorite things. So you're, you're doing fine so okay. far. Okay, good. <laughs> I would not be able to cook you the best thing, the thing that I am best at though. So that would not work. I don't know what I would cook you. It's I have okay. no idea. I am, I've I'm, made a point of, um, cause this has been like a mostly vegan for like 20 years thing. Like I, I make a point to be sort of the, the v- vegan ninja where like, I don't want you to notice that I'm vegan. I, if you need to take me to a steakhouse, like I'll find a way to quietly just order a baked potato and some salad and not make a fuss. Like I don't want to be that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. I, uh, well, some people do want to be that guy. <laughs> I know that's true. <laughs> <laughs> They're on next door right now. If you are tired of this podcast and want to go to your local next door, uh, and see what your neighbors are up to, you'll meet that person. But right now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I, you know, I don't post like food all the time on Instagram, but I do occasionally. Yeah. And I, I definitely had a, uh, somebody, <laughs> I was cooking a brisket, which is the thing that I'm probably most proud of. And, um, I had somebody comment, like, I used to really enjoy your content, but now I have to go. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh. I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even understand what was going on at first. And I mean, like, I get it. I understand like there's it's a I have really good friends that are vegans. I understand what's going on with the with the whole concept. So I get it. It's um, I I uh, I mean, literally every night almost my wife and I will just watch Chopped or Iron Chef America reruns. And we mm-hmm. don't ju- I mean, it's it's just cool. To, like the guitar thing. It's just cool to see people with, you know, amazing at their craft. Like, what's he going to do with that weird pig, you know, and we'll watch it. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not like we're throwing the TV against the wall or anything. It's it's fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. Have you been making uh, bread like everybody else during the pandemic? Nah. No, you haven't nah. gone there. OK, no, I uh it's in a strange thing. Like I've been trying to, uh, I late last year, I was having some like weird stomach things. Not like, you know, I was just trying to figure out like what's going on. So I kind of did an elimination diet and I found that like, I need to not eat so much gluten. I'll still eat it. Yep. But I, I need, I used to just, just go to town. Like I didn't care. I'd eat everything and anything didn't matter. Um, which makes my life as a pizza lover a little bit difficult, but, um, so I've, I've just tried to, I don't, I haven't eliminated it and doesn't, and that doesn't seem to be an issue, but I, I just need to eat less of it. So that's sure. why I, otherwise I probably would have gotten into breaking bread cause I love bread. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. I've, I've dabbled. I've got the What'd starter at home. Well, I ordered the sourdough starter back in March, like everybody else did and ordered the one, one of the great baking books that's by this guy in Portland, Ken Forkish. And, uh, oh Yeah. But, but that actually was one of those things where I opened that book and I'm like, this, I'm, I'm having, this reminds me of college. Like this is a textbook and I, there's a reason I'm no longer in college. (laughs) 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 I looked at it and I still have it. I know other people who maybe just like dove into it a little further and have made amazing on Instagram looking loaves of bread with it. But, uh, I just buy, uh, I, I bought the sourdough starter and I've made a couple of like YouTube, uh, recipes and it's been amazing but it's a 
36-hour process. Granted, you're only working for like 20 minutes of those 36 hours, but there's a level of commitment there to get something 36 hours later that you can eat in like one hour. Um, right. <laughs> and now I've got this starter in my refrigerator that I have to, you know, feed once a week, like it's a baby or something. And so, and I'm, I guess I could throw it out and just pretend I never had it in my life, but it's like a pet almost. And so, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like fun. I kind of like that kind of stuff. I, I like it's, getting I'm, nerdy with my, with my cooking. Yeah. It's fun. I, I have a nine-year-old son and I often will say, I'll often talk to my son as though he has a sibling, which is this starter. And I'll be like, well, starter <laughs> doesn't need to watch TV right now. It pisses him <laughs> off to no end. You know, starter I'm didn't sure. backtalk me. Yeah. Like, I, dad loves the starter more than he loves me. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, do you want to take it for a drive? You want to, you know, you, you want an ice cream cone? Should starter right. come along? Yeah. <laughs> Can I bring starter with us? He's so nice. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're getting close to the end here and uh, okay. I haven't gotten into the classic stuff yet. So oh, let's sure. do that real quick. Okay. So first of all, this is your chance to put up a billboard. You can say whatever you want, say okay. anything. You can plug something. You can give a message to the people. You can do both. You can do whatever you want right now. Okay. It's yours. Uh, the Fretboard Journal is a very cool magazine, and unlike most magazines, 95% of our content is not online for free. We're, that's why we don't have uh, advertising everywhere. We don't look like a NASCAR hood. Uh, so if you wanted to check it out, we now have a digital edition that uh, you could get for pretty cheap, like 10 bucks, and you'd get to see it, what an issue looks like. Or you could subscribe and get them a bunch mailed to your house or inbox. Um, and if you are into books and stuff, you should get the fretboard journal proper, which is where I spend 95% of my time. It's not on podcasts or video production. And then, you know what, if the fretboard journal isn't up your alley, let me just put this out there to everybody. If you love something, whether it's like the weird Ethiopian cafe down the street or an indie magazine or a blog or something, this is a great time to support it. Like we all have been there where it's like, oh, that was my favorite bar and now it's out of business. And it's such a weird, perilous time for every industry right now. Like just a reminder, I know it's always easier to just go onto Amazon and like order something and not have to talk to anybody, but like every restaurant, media company, podcast, organization, whatever could probably use your support. And so show them your love. How's that? There you go. That's beautiful. I okay. echo that a hundred percent. And I try to, I try to put it into practice too. I know it's not always it's hard. It's not always convenient or the easiest yeah. thing to do, but yeah. I mean, when I was trying to, you know, figure out where to get takeout from the other day, it was like, well, I can go here to this kind of chain thing or, Oh wait, what about this food cart that this lady owns? Yeah. That'll be yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, in, in our, where the office here is in Seattle and Ballard, like we've already lost a bunch of businesses just since March. And, um, and of course everybody was like, Oh, that was so great. I can't believe it's gone forever. And it's like, well, did you go to it in the last six months? Were you right. a regular there? <laughs> like, or did yeah. you like the idea of seeing it as you drove by to, uh, the larger place? Yeah. And I understand not everybody can support everything. Sure. Like, that's impossible. Uh, but yeah. you know, try to support the things you love. I, I exactly. think that's important. Yeah. All right, here we go. I know that we, you know, we talked about like your magazine is very acoustic focused, but you guys know a thing or two about the electric world, obviously. We try. 
Uh-huh. So what's your favorite boss pedal? Okay. Well, uh, my easy answer for this is um, probably like one of the least. I haven't listened to all these podcasts, so I don't know what the – do you have a quota? Uh, are you keeping tabs on what's been voted the most? Or, or uh, it's just only, all in your head? Only mentally. Yeah, not yeah. really. I mean, I, I would say one of my first gear purchases back when I was going to the flea market with my mom when I was like 11 years old was just one of those yellow Boss OD1 pedals. And it's okay, one of the only things I've held on to from like that period of time. I just bring it everywhere. And I, you know, it, it's useful. I'm sure there are far better pedals for uh, what it does, but I'll never get rid of it. So I got I to gotta vote for that. All right. The OD1. That might be the first OD1. I can't remember. Somebody else might have said that too, but I think it's the first OD1. Okay. <laughs> I also have yeah. an OD1, and I think it's quite good for, uh, for you know, goose and a higher gain pedal. That's kind of what I yeah. like to do with it. So, yeah. Good stuff. OD1. All right. Classic. Mm-hmm. All right. And you said you were ready for this one. So, all right, let's get into the pizza question. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Uh, it's Well, the simple answer would be cheese. Just a simple, amazing cheese pizza. The more complicated answer is, have you been to Hood River? I know you're in Oregon. Oh, yeah. Have you been to Double Mountain Brewery? Oh, yeah. Okay. So we were there. I, I hesitate to say this because this, I know leaving the house is a, a touchy subject and everybody should stay at home. But we were going stir crazy. And so we found a way, or it wasn't like secret science, but we decided to drive to Hood River just to have like two nights away from our house, get out, be really safe, like, you know, not not interact with as many people as possible, uh, get takeout, sit outside, all the usual precautions that everybody should be taking. Uh, a friend of mine through one of the podcasts I do told me that I needed to go there and I was fully ready because I looked online and they only had regular cheese, not weird vegan cheese, fully ready to just have a beer and a salad. And then I looked around and I'm like, I'm going for it. And I just got a cheese pizza (laughs) there. And it was the first time in what, a decade maybe that I've had like actual cheese. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. I don't need to go back. I don't need to do it like on the full, you know, regular rotation. But uh, that place, that pizza is good. They make really good pizza there. <laughs> it's like they Connecticut style, so it's like really charred and like not floppy, I guess. Yeah, it's fantastic. Style. Yeah, I, I've been there probably three times. I really like, I haven't been in a long time. Uh, They've got obviously. outdoor seating now. They built little, uh, like, uh, they look like bus stops. <laughs> Go oh, nice. sit there with your family in a plywood bus stop outside in the on the main drag there. So I'm down with that. I'm down with yeah. that. Yeah, especially for that pizza. Little known fact about that pizza for any Oregonians or Washingtonians that are near that area. That pizza, quote unquote, the pizza program there was set up by the guy who did a pizza Shoals, which is a really well-known Portland pizza place. Okay. Line out the door type of thing. It's not the same. It's different than a pizza Shoals, but it was set up by the same guy. And that's why it's so good. I actually think I might like Double Mountains better, actually. Yeah, and they had a double mountain in Seattle for a brief period. I I don't think it's still here, but I don't remember them having any food. So yeah, there was some magic going on down there. Yeah, uh, and we had a lot of good food in Hood River for the thirty six hours we were there. But that was a noteworthy pizza. Yeah, Hood River is tremendous. That's a, such a cool town, and yes, lots of good food. We're all pretty close together. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. You had a you had a great answer. 
it was a great time having you on the podcast and <laughs> Thanks, man. learning more about your story, man. This was cool. Thank you so much. I'm honored. All right, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. So for Jason, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. Make sure you go check out Jason's magazine and his podcasts and all that stuff because it's good stuff. Why had him on the show? And also, if you would like a little more of this conversation, there is more to be had on Patreon. I talked to Jason for another 35 minutes or so, and you can find that chitter-chatter over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash tonemob, and you can sign up for just five bucks a month, and you'll get extra episodes delivered to your ears every week, and you help keep this thing going. Thank you so much to everyone who's continued to support the show for so many years. Really, honestly, couldn't do it without those people. They are literally paying the electric bill. So, yeah, it's almost exactly what my electric bill is. So thank you so much to everyone over there. And, yeah, keep this thing going. I'll keep the guests coming and really appreciate it. Make sure and check out the Fuzzerocious Typhon if you haven't. Don't want to forget about that because there's just a few left. And it's a really rad pedal. I'm really stoked with how it came out. And, yeah. Check out the demos and all that good stuff. But without further ado, let's get you to a different podcast because this one's over. Later. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got... Three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.